You're originally from Stockholm. Yeah, I was, or I was born in uh, Göteborg, in Gothenburg. Okay, it's the other city, second biggest city in in Sweden. I know, uh, I know, I know, where, yeah. I know where it is. Yeah, and for the first time, I studied composition in the north of Sweden, in one small city called Hanesand, and then another one called Piteå, where they have a, a music academy. Actually, it's very far up north. I stayed there for a few years, and then I came to Stockholm. And started to live there and also continued studying composition there. And uh, took exchange studies to Berlin for half a year in 2002. What made you want to come to Berlin at that age, late 20s? Yeah, because in Sweden at that point, people had not been starting to go here so much. Not the composers. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. The, uh, for the compo- composers, they had been much more into Paris at that time. But I somehow, I think I read about Berlin in some uh, art magazines and things like that. And I I got the idea that it would be interesting here. I want, I had been earlier to Paris myself a few years earlier. So I wanted to see something different. And uh, when I came here, I didn't know much about Berlin, actually, be- before I came. But after a while, I started to go to these uh, improvisation concerts, performance and improvisation concerts like Ausland, yeah, okay, this, so um, what, you saw like Richard Barrett jam on electronics. Yeah, or maybe not that... Richard Barrett, but uh, yeah, a lot of those instrumentalists, Tony Buck and uh, Alex Novitz and Sabine Fogel and yeah, yeah. Um, all those people who were doing uh, improvisation. As soon as I started to go to those concerts, I got very extremely inspired for my composition uh, because I thought their approach to each instrumentalist is kind of creating their own uh, sound world for their instrument at that point i was mixing quite a lot gestures based on pitches with sounds but when i uh, heard those people play i got such a lot of ideas of how to create more interesting sounds for for each instrument D- did sweden have a lot of exposure to german music did you know what you were getting into before you decided to come to berlin i mean what's what what's the exposure like to other new music scenes within sweden it's kind of closed in Sweden, I would say. It's um, depending on several things. I think in Sweden, uh, people are very busy performing the Swedish composers because there are quite good grants for composers and possibilities to get commissions if a Swedish group commission a Swedish composer. It's a lot of those collaborations. And also Swedish orchestras commission a lot of Swedish composers. Does it have to be like bloodline no. Swedish, or can it be just a resident yeah. of? Okay, if you yeah. have your, if you have been living in Sweden, if you have your activity there, it's uh, yeah. So people who are living in Sweden, more okay. or less, and then the organizations who are arranging concerts in Sweden have not too much money. There are not too many big organizations who can do ambitious festivals and uh, complicated uh, concerts with a lot of electronics and. Uh, so on. So it's in a quite small scale. So it's hard for them to in also invite groups from other countries. Because of that, it's a little bit, it's not that international as you would hope in, yeah. in Sweden. But of course, there are a little bit of exchange. And also, I think one issue is that the German influenced music is kind of past. They think it's a bit outdated like the whole Darmstadt world is uh, something I mean it's not many many young uh, composers who think of going to Darmstadt because uh, they think of it in Sweden yeah in Sweden the modernist um, type of music that's almost taboo in Sweden I would say (laughs) and so so but if that's outdated then what's new to them like then describe to me the aesthetic space that gets pushed in that country I mean, maybe you're, maybe you don't know that much because you don't live there anymore. No, you're still based there. You yeah. said right, so yeah, you should know. It's a quite yeah. big variety. I would say that uh, in the academies, uh, the students are not pushed really in a certain direction. It's very free, and it's not too academic when you study. And plus, your composition teachers—they don't have too much power, or you're not depending on them for getting like jobs later. So. I don't think that um, students try to compose like their teachers too much. But there is a tendency of very tonal, melodic music. Also a little bit, I, th- I think 
some kind of minimalism is coming back. So you must really stick out like a sore thumb, as they say there, right? Like if the people writing instrumental music in general are what you described, you're kind of the opposite of that. Like you're like very calm, like harmonic, you know, very beautiful melody lines. But you're a noise girl, yeah. right? So Yeah, so that's why I feel very good here in Germany, <laughs> because I feel here my music actually fits in more. But I would say I my music is anyway quite appreciated in Sweden somehow, maybe when because you need variation also. So lately I think I have been having possibilities to get my music played in Sweden. When you came here to Berlin and then you, you were in the late 20s and you started, what, what was your music like before? Well, I I came from a very theoretical background, actually. I When I started to, in in high school, I took a music high school, and then we were offered some uh, instrumentation and arranging lessons and even a bit of counterpoint. So that's uh, how I started to approach composition. It was through this learning the proper rules, for, also for four voices and uh, to make a proper bass line. And like traditional Bach yeah, chorale. Yeah. yeah, yeah, all those things. Um, so gradually, after high school, I took a kind of a preparatory school where I studied, for the first time, composition was my main subject. And I was trying out different kind of uh, 20th century composition methods in a quite organized way. Because then my music started to become a little bit more... Uh, abstract and not relating to earlier it was quite tonal in the beginning because also I hadn't been listening too much to contemporary music when I knew that I wanted to compose I just want knew that I wanted to create something within music I was at that time playing the piano and the violin and uh, practicing quite intensely but anyway I felt that I didn't develop as much as a musician as I would like to. I always knew exactly how I wanted the musical result to sound when I was playing the piano, but uh, somehow my fingers wouldn't just do it. And when I started to compose, I felt this was so much easier. Then I could immediately get to the musicality and the expression. So I think for me, it was just, it felt more natural in a way to start to compose. And uh, in this um, preparatory school, they had a concert series, and they invited a lot of uh, contemporary music groups there. And uh, that's really when I discovered the contemporary music. I think I was around 19. It's about the same as me. Yeah. 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 So then when I heard that, I was quite quickly, I thought classical music was so boring, and the contemporary music was so much more surprising and interesting, and you didn't know what was going to happen in the in the music. And I was completely absorbed by it then. (laughs) So then what do you do at that point to gain exposure? So then, yeah, then I started to Mm -hmm. compose, trying those uh, composition methods and... uh, Did you have access to scores? Did you... Yeah, we looked at some scores and then I started to study in uh, this other, uh, the music academy in Piteå. Also there we looked at some modern classics. Uh, But still I was quite, uh, not traditional, but uh, anyway... I was not working so much with sounds at that point. It was starting to come into the to the music. Also, I was a little bit, I think, inspired by jazz and. Uh, but so it was still very pitchy what you were doing. Yeah, you know, yeah. The sound happened in Berlin when you saw. Yeah, that, that was improvising. A, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a big um, changing point. I think maybe I had been starting to do a little bit of those things also before when I started in Stockholm with electronic music. I also started to be more and more interested in sounds. But I think for the instrumental music, Berlin at that point was the big changing point. And uh, 2005 was also an important year for my music when I had another kind of changing point in more towards the direction of sounds. I was at that same summer, I took three different courses. It was in uh, June in Buffalo. Oh, okay. Yes, I went there. And then uh, I went to Stuttgart, the um, Academy Schloss Solitude. The Summer Academy. Yeah, right? Summer Academy. Yeah, yeah. And then in the end of the summer, I went to Rayomont, the course there. Okay, so three really famous... Uh... Yeah, with so I met a lot of different teachers during that same summer and a lot of students too. And we were constantly discussing music. And 
And one uh, interesting meeting for me was in June in Buffalo. They had these master classes and Brian Fernihau was there and um, it was very short. We were a quite big group and everyone was just handing their scores in, played not even maybe the whole piece, part of the piece and he was looking at the score and I had a piece for Sinfonietta and his first comment was that I think the harmonic structure doesn't really work here. I, at that time, I had been working quite a lot with the, the pitch, how to choose the pitches, although I never felt so engaged in that matter. You mean like in the theoretical way or like in, a, in an intuitive way, you figure out what works pitch-wise? Yeah, I tried to create a structure for the pitches and maybe the different changes of chords. I was already interested in how to create a good uh, flow of intensity in music i wanted the harmony to push that to be to make that even more clear although i didn't find satisfactory way of dealing with it and then when he looked at it and he said that he thought it was not working really and uh, i said yeah i'm not actually not that interested in harmony because i realized that i don't listen to music too much in relation to the harmony i listen to other things in music and then he just said that yeah, but why do you have so many pitches then in your music? And uh, I was thinking, yeah, of course, why do I have so many pitches? <laughs> so what was the piece you wrote after that? Like, what was the shift where you're like, I'm done. It's going to be about, you know, bowing on a flower pot. But that's yeah. mic'd. You know, I mean, I, this is exaggerating a little bit. But what was the, what was the, ment- explain to me the mental shift that happened that you were actually able to sit down and write without pitches now yeah so then uh, maybe it was not that uh, abrupt but uh, that summer for Royaume in the end of the summer I had to compose a new piece and that piece became Faces and Moon Splinters it's a piece for voice and ensemble and I was going to start that right after June in Buffalo in fact uh, then I thought in this piece I want to have just a few pitches which is not developing in a chord progression. I just have a selection of few pitches that I will always use. And I wanted to uh, be more aware of the direction of each phrase and the, the movement of each phrase. And another important meeting was actually with Chaya Chanovin. She came once, I was then studying in, in Gothenburg that uh, spring and um, she looked at the same piece the Sinfonietta piece that I showed to Brian Fernihan and, and she looked at it and uh, said I know I think uh, this piece is mainly about energy and energy levels and I was so uh, happy about that because uh, like this is what you were thinking right? yes yeah. but no other teacher wanted to discuss those matters or the teachers I had before that no one had been approaching maybe form and so through the notion of energy and intensity and I started to be more and more interested in that so when Chaya started to talk about that I somehow also became more aware of it and started to think about music more in those terms is that the main parameter that you're thinking about is is the is the first idea that comes to you an idea of how the intensity is going to build up how it's going to disperse maybe nowadays it's more about yeah, and another change at that time uh, in 2005 was also that uh, before that I have already always been planning the global form of a piece first, as you say, with how the flow goes through the piece and how it builds up. But uh, after that, when I composed Faces and Moon Splinters, I started with the details instead, and that was a very fresh approach for me. So I composed very small, uh, maybe a few seconds of phrases and made a lot of them according to different rules that I had and I made some kind of fragmentation method that I cut them in different ways threw them out on a big paper and just taped each little phrase where it happened to come and after that I had um, 10 different kind of musical uh, tableau made out of these fragments and uh, not until the end of the composition process I put them together to create a form so that approach was new. Is that the same methodology you have now? Have you stuck with that way of putting things together? Uh, yeah, I, I kind of still use that in the way that I don't plan the overall form first. I'm thinking that also just by choosing a timbre, you have a certain energy. If I choose to uh, yeah, scrape on a flower pot, what kind of energy is that already creating? And also the more you deal with sounds, I think the more... 
precise you have to be with the with the gesture itself. Like, is it a gesture moving forward or having a ritardando, or is it in a loop, or is it in a circular kind of uh, path? That's a, a whole new set of techniques that. Yeah, you know somebody has to learn yeah. because also when you use a flower pot, uh, for example, then it's a quite limited what you can do with it. So in order to make it musical, I think for me to think about those limited ways of creating a gesture, either by accelerating or decreasing speed, it's quite fun also to discover each object and its possibility. Can you describe to me a little? bit more your theory of energy like what exactly do you mean by that you say that to me and all of a sudden i have an image and obviously i know i know your music i've heard it and i i kind of know what you're talking about but then i also picture a piece by uh, like beethoven or bach and i'm like oh that's also it's such a broad kind of term that like of course it can be applied to anything including something that purposely has a lack of energy you can say that that they were avoiding something so what specifically do you mean when you're like i'm concerned about energy how do you approach that parameter how do you want people to be listening to it i actually think that's the the good point as you say that it includes any music it uh, doesn't matter if it's uh, classical music pop music folk music this uh, notion of energy is always there like anything that starts to sound if it's a conscious musical piece of work or anything else it has a starting energy somehow and depending on how the music develops if it's a static energy like maybe in a minimalistic piece of music it's static or if it's uh, as you say you want to avoid any direction in music in a piece of music it's quite interesting why how do you create such a absence of direction as a composer i think it's very important to be aware of the kind of energy that you nevertheless compose into your music if you're aware of it or not let's say if you want to compose an extremely static piece of music it's not just about uh, repeating the same pattern over and over again because after a while probably the energy when you listen to it you will feel that it uh, decreases a bit because you get used to it so maybe in order to make it have a static uh, impression maybe you need to actually build it up in some way so keeping in your head that people are adjusting to the fact that they've heard it over and over again to maintain the same level you actually have to change it i think so yeah Yeah. although my own music uh, in my own music i striving for variety i like it should be some kind of unexpectedness meeting the expected and i think also using sounds and then combining it with more classical types of gestures works quite well in my own music to build up structures and uh, also create sudden changes of uh, both maybe dynamic and intensity levels. Thank you. 
what I think works well about it is that it's got really kind of like not traditional kind of scratchy, you know, um, uh, not pitched sounds, but the, the actual form of your pieces are really, really simple. Like they build up in a certain, in almost a classical way that they build. Is that something you do on purpose so people can follow these strange things <laughs> easily and not get lost within the form of it? Well, I think about other people, but I think uh, for myself, for my own satisfaction, I really like when there are elements in the music which uh, react to each other and where there is a quite clear interaction between materials. I don't like to listen too much to music which is complete, more like a room. To me, the, when you play, at least when you play music in a concert situation, it is a clear beginning and a clear end and people have to sit there and listen to the whole piece, and then uh, to use the time in a way that makes sense. That's a very, in- a very interesting parameter yeah, for yeah. me. I, I always think that sometimes there's this, like a little bit of an inappropriate crossover between actually sitting down to listen to a piece and a sound installation, mm-hmm. where people are free to roam around the space and take stuff up and then leave whenever they want, and then other people can come in and it's not such a disciplined thing and the mm. thing is like i that type of listening experience where it's open and free and you're almost choosing your own form including a, the, when the beginning is and when the end is like that works really well for a installation environment but if you're making people sit down then whether you like it or not you're giving them a form and the notion that they can just somehow kind of like freely like float around in the space that you're creating is not true because it's so bookended, the experience, and it's so linear that you have to take that into account. Yeah, exactly. I, I think if I compose for a sound installation is, uh, situation, then I would think completely differently because then uh, you create your own. Each person creates their own form. But yeah. uh, I think, yeah, because if you compare music with other art forms, like any art form which deals with texts, then you create another kind of form. Then you create this associative uh, notion that you relating to language and uh, people probably relate to a story if it's film or theater or literature unless they're mumbling in the text yeah yeah Yeah. exactly if it makes uh, creates a meaning then you focus on the meaning of it dance on the other hand and music it's yeah relating to your memory at the moment how you take in uh, the moment, both, of course, with dance more visually, but with music, both visually and audible. And there is no specific meaning is transferred, but only the relation between the elements itself in the piece. You think you fit well into the scene here or different or different scenes? Almost every, like you, you described to me that in the beginning, what really what caused you to make this change was that you did these three festivals is going in through this festival culture and kind of like growing up that way. Does that make, do you think that makes you evolve and develop in a way that makes you fit in very well to also what like curators want and what a certain scene in a certain country is? No, I don't think I completely know still in Germany, what would curators want to have really? I just, I think I do what I want to do conceptually for my for my own sake i don't think that i am um, constantly in the same um, conceptual world either i feel that i'm always on my way to somewhere i wouldn't say that okay now i have found this uh, way of composing with sounds for instruments in a specific way that i will continue with that forever i think to continue composing to be satisfied with it, you always have to surprise yourself. So I always want to find some new um, element, either in the composition method or the way of um, constructing the sounds that uh, is new to me. So maybe lately it has been this um, the way of uh, experimenting with amplification, microphone placements and so on, and also to find quite specific concepts, which is... Um, together the music around a quite concrete concept and so on. So I am i don't think I am thinking too much about what would any festival or concert arranger 
want. I think that would be the no, no, end of the. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that. I, I I didn't mean it like that. That would be a cynical thing, but there is conditioning in that sense, isn't there? This is just something I think of in general that I'm in, just interested to see from someone who's actually is performed at like a lot of festivals. I always think of the type of conditioning that makes somebody so suitable for that. I I always wonder if there is a connection between actually this kind of focus on noise music and if it's actually connected to somehow the festival culture. Because I'll listen to a piece of yours outside of a festival and I'm like, oh, this is incredibly unique. It sounds different. And I'm just talking about like even within a new music concert. But then there's this new music culture of these summer festivals specifically. Everybody seems to be, there's maybe like three or four places for people to gravitate towards, aesthetic places. And I'm just wondering like, is that because these festivals are here? Is that a natural thing that's happening because these festivals allow minds to come together and then there's this kind of like collective mental collaboration that's happening? How has the, how has the festival culture like affected yeah, Your it is actually. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, the more you go to these intense festivals, you start to maybe. I start to think that, uh, or for example, in Darmstadt, there are so many concerts, and uh, after a while, maybe all music starts to blur together. And exactly, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. not until some uh, like in the recent uh, in the festival now in Darmstadt there was uh, this piece by. Ablinger, I thought. Actually, the piece is a rehearsal of a piece of music. And all of a sudden, it's something completely different happening that everyone would remember, no matter what. Maybe the festival culture becomes this kind of the extreme uh, performances or some kind of extremeness. That's what um, sticks out and makes people awake a little bit. And that might be a bit dangerous, maybe, that... uh, the seeking for something either provocative or shocking just to stick out from the big blur of music that people run into if you go to everything in a festival. But it wouldn't seem like a big blur if the aesthetic was more differentiated. That's yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, That's true. In a way, I, it's almost like how you adjust for a static piece. Yeah, you said that if you're doing a minimal piece, like then that means everything's the same. Then the attention span and kind of capability of the listener to keep that intensity, even though technically it is the same, will go down. Yeah. And then there has to be like this adjustment going up. Yeah. It's like it's almost happening on that level where at Darmstadt, everything or most things were so samey that I feel like people compose a piece, they know they're doing it for Darmstadt. They realize that they have to kind of make an adjustment in what they do in order to stick out. Maybe in Darmstadt uh, uh, in 2010, it was more variety. Uh, There were those groups coming from very different countries, which presented quite different kind of contemporary music. Now, uh, this year, it was more uh, coherent, maybe people from... America, France, Germany, mostly where the contemporary music has a certain culture. Because sometimes, have you been to any ISCM festival? No, I always think about going to those. I've been to quite a few festivals, but to tell you the truth, the only one that I really, I'm like, this is a great festival with a lot of interesting stuff going on is Impulse. I think they're fantastic. But every other festival I go to towards the end, I'm like, I kind of want to die right now. I'm so done with (laughs) new music, period. Yeah, And maybe in Impulse, it's a lot of young um, musicians and they choose what they want to play, right? So then maybe the choice of music becomes quite different from if a jury is choosing a certain amount of compositions. Yeah, that might be maybe the danger. If it's a small group of people who chooses then it's it might be too much in a certain direction for me it has just i feel very new to this it's has happened quite recently that uh, oh really oh i didn't know that i always i assume that that's how you came like that's how you developed as a composer is by going to these festivals and doing all these exchanges but you getting all this kind of exposure is new well since maybe then i think i had a will to 
go outside of Sweden, mostly to, because as I said, it's a quite closed community in Sweden and just to get inspiration and uh, other impact. So to go to these courses in 2005 was really interesting when you meet all these other young composers from different countries and to get a little bit more international view on what's happening and being able also for myself to present my music to people who have never heard it before. It also, was also very fresh. So, and also to get challenged, I think, uh, since the music I was writing was not too many other composers who compose in this direction in Sweden, in order to get challenged and uh, have an interesting discussion oh, so, about yeah, music. Yeah, to, to hang out with like-minded people yeah, because yeah. they know the specifics of what you're doing. So if they disagree with you, it's almost kind of a you know it's going to be a well-thought-out thought that they're exactly. disagreeing with you with because they've also been thinking about that problem. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly, yeah. 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 And I mean, just to be in, Ber- in Berlin and being among many other composers who compose with objects, for example, uh, makes it very interesting, too, to see how everyone is dealing with it because, of course, for me to be in Sweden and have this approach, it's quite... I will always feel that I'm doing something different. I don't want it to become too comfortable that oh i have my own space i'm doing this it's quite good i mean it's you you're literally saying it's comfortable because you're aesthetically alone yeah that's uh yeah yeah, my own uh, no no one's gonna break into the door and say you don't know what you're doing yeah everybody's like oh that she's just doing her thing that's fine yeah and and because of that nobody's challenging you yeah yeah exactly and i think as a composer it's important to get challenged to really Okay, why am I using a megaphone for this piece? Is that uh, and and then you come to Darmstadt and you see oh there are like five other composers using megaphone and how are they using it and how is it different from my own approach? All these issues. Do you think that's the best way to actually grow though? Is to find somebody who's like minded and thinking about your stuff to grow with, or do, don't you? Isn't it always important to like some guy who's never heard a megaphone piece before, but is still a smart person and knows about aesthetics and has a nice sensitivity to what is capable in sound and art? He can maybe even have a more valid comment about what you're doing about your specific thing from an outsider point of view in a certain way that's almost a little bit healthier than the small group of people working with megaphones fighting yeah. with one another <laughs> then all of a sudden you develop you you know you develop an aesthetic or an opinion that is not relatable to other outside groups so i think that yeah probably. it's also important to get criticism from outside aesthetics absolutely yeah. i think it's uh, probably the most healthy is to have both your own very introvert world like okay um for the first time trying a megaphone I have just my own it's me and the megaphone and I'm trying different ways to make sound with it without knowing what anyone else is doing that's of course very important and then maybe once you have started to use it it can be good to hear what are other people doing so I think in one way I also try to keep myself with a some healthy distance not I'm not the person who sits down and tries to look uh, too much at what other people are doing. Uh, I'm doing working with my objects, but then when I come to those festivals, that's a good place for me to grasp what's going on because maybe you have time to go to a few other concerts and then you hear... What else is happening? How do you get feedback? How do you grow? How do you get information that you trust as like whether or not it was successful or not, a piece that you write? I'm critical myself to my own music, so I think... uh, I'm very kind of analyzing my piece myself. And you, of course, when you hear it in the concert, you listen to it in a different way from when you're composing it. It's quite rare that I'm completely satisfied with a, a piece of music. There are always some elements that uh, I think I should have developed in a different way. And But quite often, when I feel satisfied in general with a piece, it's also when other people seem to be uh, maybe i have a quite uh, a way of listening to music which is not too different to the common <laughs> to what people do maybe it has to do with this uh, question about rhetorics and how the piece develop i am satisfied if it makes sense if i think the dialogue within the piece between the materials if that is interesting and probably people in general also 
listens to that. I, th- I feel that I can use any kind of strange sound. And as long as it kind of makes sense in the context, then uh, people who have never heard contemporary music can also listen to it. And um, yeah. I really do think everybody can understand when something is building. If you stick to that, if you stick to a simple form and material that's able to just using going back to your kind of energy theory like that can actually gain energy and build energy then you can really use any type of you can get away with anything almost Mm. yeah absolutely i mean we have been with our group we have also been playing in many different contexts like once we were in a in a school in oslo and played for some kids and teachers and uh, they could also appreciate the music and i had a piece where there was some noise made from a tape they thought oh it's interesting that uh, such a tape can also sound musical and uh, (laughs) but otherwise in general I think as long as you're studying you're always in a context that you discuss music a lot in different seminars so when you're on your own not studying anymore I can miss that sometimes the academic uh, context where you actually more dissect music and you uh, discuss about the elements of the music but you can you can do that outside of an academic context Mm. and not even saying necessarily for yourself like a composer at a library studying a score or something or reading up on aesthetics i mean those conversations happen in coffee shops yeah Yeah, you discuss with your friends and uh, and so on of course as well i mean you must have a network of outside of the festival thing you must have a network of feedback and opinions about your work just from friends that you have from your yeah. husband who conduct, you yeah, know, of course we discuss it. a yeah. lot. Uh, so that's uh, that's very good. And uh, do you really? Yeah, yeah, we do. But we maybe we interact quite a lot with uh, during we sit. I mean, we sit at the same table when we work. <laughs> so uh, even while composing, we can discuss elements uh, and uh, even detail. that sounds like a terrible idea, <laughs> doesn't it? How does that not end in a fight? Yeah, maybe I am not that... uh, I think Ray is more eager to discuss um, the details of his composition when he's composing than I am. I'm a bit more protective, maybe, about my material or... And also, no, it's it's fun. It's... uh, You don't look at... uh I always look at scores, other people's scores, if and it's before, like, the piece comes into fruition, before it exists as a sound. I always look at something and I'll be like, that'll never work. But I would never say that to my wife. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, but I think yeah, when I'm composing, I don't think uh, uh, when I'm doing like fragments of gestures, I mean, no one would be able to look at it and see what kind of meaning that would have in the piece in then. So maybe I think there is no reason to look too closely. But I think yeah, sometimes, uh, yeah, uh, Ray can look at uh, what I'm doing and thinking that, yeah, what is this? This is... Uh, and being quite suspicious uh, to uh, <laughs> to it, and that works out well. It doesn't end in a good for you for yeah. But then I wouldn't uh, be able to handle someone like like someone like looking over my shoulder, yeah. let alone someone who I've like promised to like bind myself forever to. You know, <laughs> like the, but I guess we all we met from the beginning through music. Like we were studying at the same academy, and we have always been having this musical discussion and. Uh, going on we are we are organizing this ensemble together so i guess it's a lifestyle more or less to always discuss different kind of musical matters sometimes it's about uh, which loudspeaker to bring from a studio sometimes it's about uh, which pieces to play in a concert by other composers and then it's our own music and i have been playing his music and he's conducting my music he's the kind of expert on uh, how to perform my music so it's uh, everything is very tightly woven together <laughs> do you have an I'm, I'm, i don't mean it like this way but is there like an escape like your profession is new music you do it you do it a lot you're su- successful at it and then all of a sudden like that's somehow tied into your personal life right so how do you get away from that world do you need to do you feel like you need to get away from that world yeah i also have a few friends who are not uh, musicians and i have um, one close friend she's working in brussels in the eu commission and you have friends who are but mostly those friends are anyway somewhat interested in music maybe not contemporary music but no it's great to be able to talk about different things than music and and also now of course i um, i got a daughter two months ago for the first time yeah, I, congratulations uh, on uh, that yeah thanks yeah, yeah. 
a baby. So in that, uh, when, of course, when you relate to a baby, you're in a completely different world. She, although she has heard our music, of course, from uh, being in the stomach, she would. That's the way to. You are in in the present in a different way when you are with a such a small person, and uh, that's a way to quite fresh actually to think about something completely different and uh, a small person who has a completely different need and doesn't care at all about uh, what we are doing professionally. <laughs> she's she's not impressed by your flower pot bow yet. Exactly. <laughs> like, <she's not. laughs> Were you worried about not worried? I think of the effort that it takes and the work involved to have to go to these festivals during the summer to network traveling, finding it difficult to actually earn enough money. How, how do you deal with that as like someone who is now responsible for another human being? Yeah, it's a very... Or two people. Two yeah, people. yeah, it's yeah. very fresh now. So we are discovering everything for the first time. We just uh, took airplane for the first time two days ago with, uh, with a baby. And Were you super nervous? Like, oh my yeah. God, please don't scream and cry. And exactly. I don't want to be that person. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because usually before, we are the persons who get super annoyed with crying babies. I like, get yeah. so mad. <laughs> I get so... And I know I'm morally wrong by getting mad. Yeah. At a baby. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, you really shouldn't be getting so mad at a baby, but I can't. No, and especially if when we, for example, when we sit and compose in cafes, then we're like, oh no, a baby car is coming in. That's not good. But and now we are in that uh, situation ourselves. But I think I haven't been taking too much time off from uh, working, uh, although it was. All of a sudden, uh, in the during the pregnancy, I was told that I might have been working too much and that I have to relax and keep calm all of a sudden in the autumn. This was towards the end of the pregnancy, I guess? It was uh, maybe after six, five, six months. So it was quite a while to go still. So all of a sudden I sh couldn't go around to festivals and I had to tell some festivals that I couldn't come and uh, just stay home without traveling. But at the same time, it was healthy because for quite a few years I have been composing constantly like there was no interruption between pieces where I can um, yeah break free from music and think about something else and then dive back into it so yeah or take the time away from music to think about what you're yeah doing right? yeah because if you have five commissions in a year and you come to some aesthetic crisis, those things yeah. take time and yeah. space to solve in your head before you can be like, okay, now this is what I want to do. And not only that, after that, you almost have to learn how to do what you want to do again. Exactly. That's, so uh, it's, man, it's good yeah, that you had that so time. So actually, from, even if I wouldn't have had a, a child right now, I think I, I knew that I needed uh, time off from music to be able to reflect on what have I been doing and where am I going. So... These few months, anyway, maybe three months or something, it was very good. Are you back in the swing of things now? Like, are you composing a lot now? I will, I will start to compose here now again, and I hope for some really fresh uh, input now. What did you learn from the time off about what you're doing, where you um, want to go? I have been kind of going through my uh, recent pieces, the ones I have composed last year, in a kind of critical manner, looking through the score and uh, listening and uh, kind of evaluating, making a kind of evaluation, what, which, which elements am I satisfied with and um, which parameters do I want to develop more. And I don't uh, think there is going to be a huge change right now. But uh, what I know is that I will work with a bit larger scale objects that's uh, one of my decisions. It should still be able to <laughs> move into the concert location, but I have been using quite small things, like uh, small objects like uh, sandpaper, some little glass, some uh, uh, maybe megaphone is not that small, but quite small. Especially we have been traveling a lot with our ensemble, so I've been thinking in this uh, little bit practical manner that we have to be able to bring the stuff. But I feel... When you listen to this kind of music where the objects are more and more important, it's also important with the visual impact of it. And I would like to try objects which are anyway a little bit bigger and maybe each object has 
several possibilities of timbers, not only one timbre that maybe... You mean like an object that is, uh, has wood in it and also metal in it? Maybe, yeah, something which can uh, produce a few different types of sounds anyway. Um, so it can be more versatile as a, in its musicality. What objects are you thinking of? I'm actually interested in this now. You'll, you'll write the piece before I release this in- interview. Okay, that's the deal I'll make. Yeah. So nobody's going <laughs> to steal like your suitcase piece. My, uh, my project now in Berlin is that... Um, I'm writing an ensemble piece. It's going to be for three uh, musicians, um, instrumentalists, and three persons playing objects. The theme for this uh, concept is objects from Berlin, from places in Berlin which have been going through some uh, changes. So I have just found one object so far that I will use, and it's from uh, the Tempelhof um, area, the park there at the airport, uh, where people are nowadays having all kinds of activities going on with their dogs or different, uh, maybe, roller blades or things like that. But I noticed that flying with kites, that is very popular in this Tempelhof area, and they even organized a kite festival in the autumn. I went to see that, and uh, there are some very impressive, huge kites, but... Uh, I think that's one object I will try to work with. It's a kite in combination with some fan. And to see if that can be used in a musical sense, I'm quite interested in that. It's not the best example of a very versatile object, but I will uh, work on that. And uh, during the rest of my stay here in Berlin, I will uh, find other objects which are... So Dave composing for you right now at this stage of the piece... Is you going for a stroll? Yes. But you're also dealing with associations now. Like strong, like if that's the theme of this piece that you're going to write, then people are going to associate it with Berlin and also attach in like probably a narrative to that object. When you use these objects now, are you going to inform them of what the inspiration was? Or are they supposed to just look at a kite and be like, okay, whatever, how she got it, it doesn't matter. I'm just paying attention to a kite sound right now. Yeah, I don't know how it might be. Of course, there will be some kind of uh, either something you can read about it or I haven't decided yet if it will be. It might be anyway presented in a way that you understand that these objects are from Berlin and that they are representing places of change. For me, it's a, sometimes composition anyway is a kind of diary that, okay, now I have this piece which is representing the time I spent in Berlin. Maybe I, I have not written pieces which have objects so specifically relating to a city, but I have been recording a lot in different cities and working. I have been working with sounds that I have recorded in different cities. So maybe it's just a continuation of that idea. I love doing that. It's the funnest thing yeah. to do. So this is going to be your diary piece. Almost, yeah. yeah, yeah. Specifically supposed to be relating to a time and place. Because I have been doing it just for some other pieces, uh, structures of molten light and turbid motion. Uh, For these pieces, I recorded uh, noise in the sunset and sunrise of uh, places in Stockholm and Paris and um, Tokyo and New York. And uh, I chose afterwards, after the recording a few minutes in each place, I chose a few moments of each recording, which I'm kind of transcribing to instrumental music. Like in an Oblinger-esque way? Well, the original recording is not taking part in the piece. It's just the instrumental representation of the recording. I guess this is a continuation of that idea, but now I will actually choose acoustic objects which are going to be performed live on stage, which is then relating to the city. So it's just a bit different method but now, the, aren't you limiting the performance capability now? Yeah, that's a kind of a tricky thing to solve. But I guess I have to... A kite you can get anywhere. So that's even though it's relate for me, it's relating to Tempelhof in Berlin. You can actually get it anywhere. So I wonder... I have to think about this for my upcoming choice of the other objects. That's the problem with these object pieces, right? Is yeah. that a violinist has to figure out... 
how to work a fan in the kite. Exactly. <laughs> but your ensemble's used to doing that now, right? That's probably, probably yeah. the good thing about having Yeah, everyone ensemble. can deal with objects, I think, in our group without problems. But no, of course, it's not maybe all groups or all musicians that would like to do that. In one way, you have all of a sudden a maybe approach more of a percussionist when you deal with these objects. Do you ever get logistical problems? How do you solve logistical stuff? It's a lot especially, of... Especially someone like you who works with objects all the time and like literally new ones all the time like a kite and a fan like yeah how do you yeah you have to try it out a lot i think yourself i always uh, try everything which i will put in a piece if it's an unusual way of playing an instrument or if it's an object i have to quite thoroughly try it out and imagine the situation how much are you actually able to kind of incorporate the idea of virtuosity in an object, right? Because someone starts the piano at the age of four, and by the time they're in their late 20s, they could potentially, or even, you know, if they're a prodigy or something, they can even potentially be a virtuoso. Because so the number of technical, amazing feats that you can throw at that one performer are numerous, mm. you know, because they've spent their whole life. But all of a sudden, you're asking them to play another instrument, and the number of virtuosic things that they can do opposed to just very simple things like turning on a fan is very limited so how do you could you I, ever write a piece that's like a really difficult kite and fan part where maybe like, yeah. maybe for a percussionist weird, yeah, yeah. yeah percussionist will probably be able to approach it but i guess it is good that not all composers are de- dealing with this music because i think if one piece in a concert is uh, with objects and that the musician have to do something quite simple but different, then it might be a fresh change. But uh, as long as not all pieces are like that, I, I think uh, maybe I'm saved by the fact that many other composers anyway write this virtuosic, normal, uh, instrumental parts so uh, but uh, all of a sudden if uh if a violinist is performing in a concert with five pieces and she's not playing the violin for any of them she's like i don't know i'm a violinist how come i'm yeah then that must be a very curious uh, musician who is very open-minded and uh, i find that some musicians they play so much different music that uh, they are quite open as long as it makes sense musically probably it's uh, can be okay to play a cassette tape player once in a while <laughs> do you think that your object music it just has to be more simple well it is always my object it, parts are notated as uh, intricate as the instrumental parts more or less because uh, a lot of my music it is about making the objects timbres mix with the instrumental timbres so the way they are notated is quite similar in complexity maybe the the instrumental parts then are getting slightly less complex. But, than, ab- yeah, but ability will never be able to match it when compared to the two instruments. Again, someone spends their whole life learning the violin and they have to turn on a kite and a fan. One she spent her whole life preparing for, the other one she spent two weeks. Yeah, exactly. You know? No, that's, of course, I think, I don't think of it too much in that uh, manner. I think, what do I need to solve here musically? And also, even my instrumental parts have these not so virtuosic approach. Anyway, it can also be about creating the sound in a different way from normally, which is maybe not as subtle. But uh, the important thing then as a composer is to create something which is really strong musically so that someone would would actually want to perform it because if it's a lousy piece of music and on top of that you have to to just turn on and off a fan then maybe it's not so inspiring so hopefully the part will be inspiring enough for a musician to want to play it the theatrical element is if you know if you're able to do that well like all of a sudden it makes sense that they're turning on a fan then that can be something very kind of pleasing for a performer to take part in. Yeah, hopefully. And I think mostly my even my object parts, they are not supposed to be performed over theatrically. If you just focus on doing what it says in the score, it's, it's fine. So you wouldn't have to put on a strange face or to approach it with a 
theater dr- dramatic kind of mind. It's more uh, quite instrumentally made. Do you think you have to be more visually oriented towards object music? Like you can picture somebody playing the violin and throw like again throw a number of just straight up maybe some extended techniques but you know mostly traditional violin playing and the visual part takes care of itself people know what to expect it's they're not being freaked out by something weird happening but if you're doing something strange or asking them to play on something they're not used to then there's this whole other visual element that could possibly go wrong have you ever, first of all, have you ever made that mistake? Have you ever been like, this is going to sound great, and then you saw it on stage, and it looks so ridiculous that it doesn't matter how good it sounds? Well, I, I think it, it is an interesting question, this, about how you associate with the instruments, because, yeah, as you say, as soon as there is a violin on stage or a piano, unconsciously, we have this, uh, the whole music history is uh, playing back to us. We have heard these instruments in Beethoven and Bach and everything so yeah you know what to expect but that's why I like this uh, way of putting a a knife on the stage instead because when you look at that you don't have any so much musical historic events to relate to this knife yeah you have a whole other set of association to these objects and like a cornflakes package or you have a completely different way of thinking about these objects and I think that's quite refreshing that it's um, making the music less hierarchic, maybe, that uh, you have these objects uh, which are not made for music from the beginning, but they are now going to make music. Yeah, but it's also harder to predict exactly the the context that people are going to take it in, in hmm. right? You could intend for like that knife to be like very... like It, it could easily become silly. Mm-hmm. Like that mistake I made with the pianist going inside the piano like Mm. all the sounds were exactly what i wanted them to be was exactly but her ass was sticking out to the audience and i'm like that has to change (laughs) i can't keep i can't keep that in it's going to negate from the actual sound of the piece yeah i'm just wondering if like that's also something that happens to you do you make changes compared like when it starts to look ridiculous how do you adjust or think about that thing i hopefully notice it when i'm trying it out out myself but yeah, of course, things can happen which are not so easy to control. Like last time in, in Darmstadt, I had in my piece, that was not objects, but it was lion's roars, this uh, percussion instrument. The percussion instrument with the string attached. <laughs> exactly, to the you have end a tom or a yeah. bass drum with a string attached, and it's doing a lot of growls. And I had such um, two lion's roars, they were placed in stereo on the stage, and they had a very important part of the dialogue in the piece and it was also mixing with growls in the clarinet bass clarinet and uh, bass flute and in the first bars of the piece in the concert one of the lions roars break okay yeah so it was just a few seconds of nice growling and then it broke so those uh, things can happen and also objects can of course uh, break but i haven't had two uh, bad experiences yet we had been working so intensely for two weeks and it had been working perfectly in all rehearsals and then finally in the concert it happens <laughs> those last those last minute disasters are yeah i'm actually getting better where i could just laugh at them now like i'm like ah, whatever this is you know this stuff happens all the time yeah after yeah. a while you when you see it in a perspective it's uh, <laughs> or like if something goes wrong on stage all of a sudden i automatically put myself in the composers other composers i'm like he must be freaking out right now it like doesn't even i I go from the piece to the composer's head when something logistically yeah goes wrong yeah poor malin the the line roar broke i can tell you know yeah yeah and yet you wouldn't hear exactly even if you could imagine that it would sound in a certain way it's a little aspect of the music is gone Yeah, and that's so heartbreaking. Yeah, because nobody, because it, it's not like people knew that there was an aspect missing. No, no, no one yeah, could yeah, see that yeah. that happened. It's actually, just, it's just they don't. They'll never know the world you truly envisioned. Exactly, that stupid thing broke. Yeah, yeah. it's a bit frustrating. But... Yeah. Well, uh, I think that's a good place to end the interview. In the frustrating place. Yeah, the frustrating <laughs> place. Let's let's leave people with frustration. Yeah, that's what I say. That's what this project is for, just to make people feel bad. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for doing this. Thank you.